Well, I am so glad the pastor's gone today. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant to say, I'm so glad to be here today and the pastor is gone. Uh, I get, I get, silly me, I get those things confused. I uh, hope you're doing well today. I'm not the senior pastor. My name is Joe Andrews. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, and I love getting to come up here and teach and preach uh, the word of God. I hope that the Lord would speak through me to you. And I hope that you guys enjoy uh, the message today. More than anything, I just want God to uh, continue forming you into the exact people that he wants you to be. So uh, it is, it's my privilege to be here and I get to do an entire sermon series. Uh, it's like a short series, though. It's like a half series. I guess I can't call it a full sermon series. That's probably usually about four messages. This is just this week and next week. It's like a half series. Like when I put on a half shirt, my wife is like, that is not a full shirt. You... <laughs> put a full shirt on. Uh, so I'm going to just do a half series. Uh, we're going to have really fun. The series is called Understatements. And uh, this week, what we're going to be looking at is, is who Jesus is and understatements made about Jesus. And uh, I hope that you can see in this text exactly where those understatements are. And I hope you can avoid those same understatements in your own life. Next week, we're going to look at a different uh, understatement, this time made by God about you. So if you want to come next week and hear an understatement uh, about who you are, that's what we're going to be looking at. An understatement is an expression that doesn't do justice to whatever the subject at hand is. People use it for humor. Uh, they'll understate something on purpose because everybody knows that's an understatement. They'll use it for irony. Some people just do it on accident. They maybe didn't know exactly what they were talking about, so they understate uh, something. And so what I did is I did my homework and I searched the world over for the best understatements in history. And I came across uh, King Arthur and the Knights at Camelot. In the movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> There's a scene where King Arthur, who is in the quest to find the Holy Grail, the Holy Grail is the cup that Jesus used uh, at the Lord's Supper, and, and King Arthur is trying to find this, and he's trying to gather people together to go with him uh, on this journey. And he comes to a bridge, and uh, at the bridge, there is, uh, there's this knight dressed in all black, and uh, he just says, none shall pass, and nobody can go across, and King Arthur quickly realizes, this guy is not going to listen to me, I'm going to have to fight him with my sword. And so a sword fight ensues. This entire battle scene is two minutes and 55 seconds, all right? Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail, shame on you. All of us will wait as you leave right now. Actually... If you leave right now, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble, so just stay there. Um, so there King Arthur is with the knight. They start sword fighting, and really quickly, King Arthur starts to win, and he cuts off the arm of the black knight. Now, they don't call them knights in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, they call them kniggets, because if you, spell, if you sound out the word K-N-I-G-H-T, that's what you get. And so he cuts his arm off. And knowing that he won, King Arthur says, step aside, worthy adversary, so that I can cross the bridge, right? And uh, nobody was expecting this, but the black knight says, tis but a scratch. And King Arthur says, looking at the arm on the ground, no, it's not, your arm is on the ground. And uh, they keep fighting because the black knight won't let this go. King Arthur cuts his other arm off that was holding the sword. Then the knight is kicking King Arthur because that's all he can do. 
it keeps getting worse. It's not gory. It's actually just really funny. It's uh, kids probably shouldn't watch it anyway. Uh, then a leg gets cut off. Then the other leg gets cut off. And the Black Knight says, come back here. I'll bite you because that's all that he can do. King Arthur says, what are you going to do? Bleed on me? And uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. And he, he, he keeps saying things like that. I'm invincible. Or he'll say, uh, it's just a flesh wound. I don't know. It, it is the best movie in the world. Listen, if you don't like stupid movies, though, I'm just saying don't watch it. If you love that kind of humor like I do, you're going to have a, a really good time. And, and that is how I segue into Matthew 16. I bet you saw that coming. Uh, in Matthew 16, you're going to see some even bigger understatements than the Black Knight made in the uh, infamous sword fight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But uh, these understatements have a huge impact on things. In fact, as we get into this passage, and really what I want you to take home today is this, that understating Jesus or not is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. If you understate Jesus, it's going to mean for you an eternity spent away from his presence. If you don't understate who Jesus is, you will spend an eternity with your Savior in heaven. It is a life and death situation. What I want to do is go to verse 13 so we can get into this text. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now I want to talk to you just about kind of the context, kind of get you into the story. The, the place Caesarea Philippi is about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. That's a long way back in that day and time. Jesus had his followers, his disciples, they were with him, people were following him, but they're a long way from what would really be considered the religious hub of Judaism. And uh, if you go up uh, a little bit, you'll get to the Sea of Galilee. They were even uh, 40 miles beyond that. Caesarea Philippi uh, was known for pagan worship. So this is a place that just has kind of pagan written all over it. In fact, Herod the Great actually built a temple near uh, this place, Caesarea Philippi, and that temple was made out of white marble, and he erected that temple uh, for Caesar Augustus. And so, I mean, this, it was just a pagan, pagan place. And what we're going to see is, uh, is how Jesus kind of switches that uh, around, but Jesus is now probably about a little over two-thirds uh, done with his ministry, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, and his disciples know him now. They've been walking with Jesus for so, so long. I mean, two years they've been going with him for place, from place to place. This is probably the furthest north that Jesus ever made it with his disciples in, uh, in the ministry. And so uh, they know him. They love him. They've seen him do the miracles. He's just fed the 4,000. Just before that, he fed the 5,000. He's, uh, he's done amazing miracles. He's cast out demons. He's healed blind men up to this point. I mean, and he's just in the thick of his teaching ministry. And his disciples absolutely love him. And they can't wait to see or hear what he's going to do next. And that's when Jesus asks his disciples this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, really what he's saying is who do the people, who do the crowds, one of the other gospel writers say, who do the crowds say that I am? That's what he's asking. But he says, 
Who do the people say that the son of man is? I wanna talk to you a little bit about that phrase, son of man. It's uh, used by uh, prophets in the Old Testament and, and the disciples would have understood this when they heard Jesus use that phrase, they would have immediately been taken back to both of these instances. The first is Ezekiel. What Ezekiel says 93 times is he uses that phrase, son of man, to refer to himself. Usually when God was speaking to him saying son of man, what it did was point to the fact that Ezekiel was human. But there's also another use of it and everybody knew it. Daniel, the prophet, he used this same phrase, but he used it in a totally different way. In fact, in a vision that he had, he said that he saw the Lord giving dominion and all authority over to the one who would be the Messiah. And so Jesus was saying by using that phrase, I am man and I am so much more than a mere man. And the disciples would have known exactly what he was saying because these were this was a familiar phrase that they would have known. So Jesus asked them this question, who, who do people say? What are, what are people thinking about me? Who are they saying that I am? And a lot of people were saying a lot of things about Jesus. They just were. Some of them were good, some of them were bad, but everybody was talking about Jesus. So what I wanna do now is go uh, to the next verse. This is verse 14. It says this, they replied, so who do, who do people say that the son of man is? Some, the disciples are just gonna lay it out flat for Jesus. Here, here's what the people, here's what the crowds, the throngs of people following you, here's what they say about you. They say that you're John the Baptist. They're saying that Jesus was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had been beheaded a little earlier, so that would be some kind of a miracle if Jesus was John the Baptist. Either he came back to life as Jesus or somehow his spirit was in Jesus or something, but that's what the people believed. Here, here's where that probably came from. It came from Herod, who had beheaded John the Baptist kind of unwillingly, and he felt guilty about it, and he hated that he did it, and he was scared when he saw somebody else doing some of the things that John the Baptist did and preaching the way that John the Baptist preached. And so in, ver in chapter 14, verse one, if you just go back a few pages, it says, Herod thought that John the Baptist was uh, resurrected and was Jesus. That's a kind of a crazy thing. And, and I think that that probably spread around and people started to believe that. There's another way that people could have believed that, that maybe Jesus is just fulfilling John's ministry since his ministry was cut short and he's kind of a continuation of John the Baptist. But however you put it, it it's still kind of weird. It's weird because John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus. They were the same age. Jesus was ministering while John the Baptist was still alive. So it's just weird. And oh yeah, John was beheaded and Jesus was walking around everywhere with a head. And he didn't say, hey, I'm John the Baptist was merely a flesh wound. <laughs> he didn't say that one time because he knew he wasn't John the Baptist. Others, the disciples say, Jesus, they say that you're Elijah. 
Well, Elijah was known for having been taken to heaven. He didn't pass away. He didn't die like the rest of us. He was taken up into heaven, and they thought, maybe he's back. And uh, this really comes from a prophecy in the book of Malachi. Malachi says that Elijah will precede the Messiah. So what people are thinking is, now Elijah's back. Jesus must be Elijah. The Messiah must be coming after Jesus. That's going to be great, because that's what Malachi said. Now, Elijah did some awesome miracles. He had parted the Jordan River. He had raised a boy from the dead. You could see some correlations between he and Jesus. But Jesus was so much more. I mean, this is an incredible understatement. Some say Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah was known for preaching judgment and for preaching repentance. Maybe they were thinking, he's back from the dead and he's Jesus and Jesus is him. Or maybe kind of the same. Maybe he's just kind of taking Jeremiah's ministry to the next level and kind of doing things in the same way because that's what Jesus did. He preached judgment and he preached repentance, didn't he? And then it says still others think that he's one of the prophets. It's like they had a prophet wheel and they just spun it. (laughs) Which prophet will it land on? Habakkuk. Maybe he's Habakkuk. Maybe he's Isaiah. Maybe he's Nahum. Maybe he's one of the others. Maybe he's Daniel. They didn't know. But one thing is for sure. Every one of those things was a huge, huge understatement. Here's here's two things we can learn from that. People thought that Jesus was a prophet, period. They didn't think that he was anything else. Now, some people did, obviously, but the general consensus was that he's a prophet, Maybe one resurrected, it's kind of weird, but maybe that's it. Here's the second thing. It was easier for the people to believe that Jesus was a resurrected prophet than it was for them to believe that he was the promised one, that he was the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. Instead of looking at Jesus and his miracles and his teaching and saying, look, it's the Messiah. They said, look, it's somebody that's like a prophet. And maybe he'll, maybe the Messiah will be after him. What a horrible, horrible thing to think. And what a huge understatement. I think that Jesus would have heard these. And as the disciples were, were talking about these to him, uh, he's probably thinking John, John the Baptist, the Okay, the people, the crowds, they think I'm John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist baptized me, and even though John the Baptist said I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals, they they think I'm John the Baptist, okay. They think I'm Elijah because I, I do miracles, and there's some kind of correlation. Don't they see, though, that I'm teaching with authority and that my miracles are far superior? What an understatement. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Jeremiah either. Yes, I preach repentance and I preach judgment, but I also preach life and I preach forgiveness of sin. I am far superior to Jeremiah. What an understatement these people are making or just some other random prophet. What an understatement. They don't know who I am. Jesus would have thought that all of that was huge understatements about him and about his ministry and everything that he was doing. Here's the next thing that I want you to see. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, 
but I, I kind of want you to kind of think about this. You guys could understate me every day of the week, and you probably do. Uh, <laughs> there, some, one person got it. That was good. But you know what? If you understate me and who I am, it, it really isn't going to matter for you. It doesn't change things for you. It doesn't change your eternity. It doesn't change things for me. It's, everything's just kind of the same. Uh, let me put it for you a different way. If you invite some family uh, down to Las Cruces or some guests, maybe they're really close friends, they stay with you. You're so excited to take them around Las Cruces and show them the cuisine. You know what I'm talking about. You want them to try red chili and green chili. And at the restaurant, you don't tell them beforehand, uh, but the waitress is going to ask, do you want red or green? And you're just going to go, say Christmas. <laughs> just say Christmas. And they're like, Christmas, <laughs> like they have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, then they taste the chili. And can you imagine if they would, it's hard for me to say this, understate red and green chili. I mean, you would judge them immediately. You would probably cut them off from that moment on. But you know what? Them understating red or green chili, it really doesn't change things for you, does it? It doesn't change things for them. It doesn't have an impact on their eternity. It really doesn't have an impact on their life. They're going to keep living, and you're going to be like, I hate you. <laughs> you don't like green chili, and I hate you. I don't know if you know this, but the really kind of the biggest political story in New Mexico right now is that New Mexico is trying to get a bill through that will make us the first and only state in the union to have a state aroma. Did you guys know this? This is true. I'm not making this up. I make a lot of stuff up up here. I'm not making this up. You know what the state aroma is? The roasting of green chili, the smell. Oh, man, all of us are like, oh, it's heaven. Those of you who aren't from here, you don't know. You don't know. It is the state aroma already. It's not something that we have to like ratify in the Senate. But we're trying. We actually took this bill, okay? Yeah, this is true. True story. Took the bill to the Senate where there's 35 senators. And the senators voted 31 to 4 in favor of us having a state aroma and that being the smell of roasting green chili. Who in the world are these four people? <laughs> Like, what are they holdouts or what in the world are they doing? I have their names. I'd like you to write them down, <laughs> send a letter to them. They're obviously out of their mind. Uh, I don't know if they're holding out for like a lifetime of green chili. You want me to vote that way? All right. Throw some chili my way, a lifetime of it. Green and red. Christmas, bring it all on. Then I'll vote your way. Or I don't know, maybe they're just like anti having a state aroma that's that aroma. Maybe it's like a different aroma. You know, like the smell of when the wind hits you, like with a, a blast of sand as well. And you're like, <coughs> Mexico. <laughs> or maybe it's tumbleweeds. They're like, tumbleweed, that's the smell. That's our smell right there. I don't know what the deal is with them, but listen, they're understating clearly the state aroma, which is just natural. But it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything for them, and it doesn't change anything for you. It's everything is just the same. But understating who Jesus is is a matter of life and death. It's not like green chili. It's not like understating me or anyone else or some situation. It's a matter of life and death. 
That means if we get this wrong, if we understate who Jesus is and don't know who he really is, we're going to spend eternity separated from him. Or if we don't understate who Jesus is, we will spend eternity with him in heaven. I want to bring us to verse 15, but first I want you to see this. The disciples knew who Jesus was. The disciples knew. They're saying all this to Jesus. Here's what the crowds think, but we, we know who you are. We know you. We've been walking with you for two years. We know exactly who you are. And we're going to see that right here. Let's look at verse 15. Jesus says, but what about you? And I see Jesus with a huge smile on his face when he says these things. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? All these people say I'm John the Baptist. Do you guys think that I'm John the Baptist? I mean, they would have laughed. Absolutely, they didn't think that. Some of them followed John the Baptist and knew that he was beheaded, and they knew him. They were following him before they were following Jesus. And Jesus would be like, do you guys think I'm Elijah? I mean, come on. And they would have been like, no, obviously not. How about Jeremiah? No, there's no way. You're not anything that the crowds are saying that you are. And then Peter steps up to the plate and he hits a home run. This is what he says. You are the Messiah. Now that word Messiah is the word Christ. The word Messiah is, means the anointed one. Now, the Jews had been told by God in Genesis 3, like two chapters after Genesis 1 in the beginning, like chapter 3 says somebody's coming to make this whole sin problem all right. He's going to right everything. He's going to crush Satan and everything will be done once and for all. In the very beginning, that prophecy was made. And then through the rest of the books of Scripture, everything pointing to the Messiah who would one day arrive, Peter says, you are that one. Our people have been waiting for you for thousands of years. I've been waiting for you my whole life. The rest of the 11 disciples, we've all been waiting for you for our whole lives. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah, and we know it, but he doesn't stop there. He's going to hit it out of the park. He says, you're also the son of the living God. Now, that doesn't mean that God had offspring. What that means when Peter says that is that you and God are on the same level. You're of the same substance. You are God. You're the son of the living God. And remember where they are. They're in this place which was known for its false dead gods. And here, here Peter says, you are the Messiah. We've waited for you. You're the son of the living God. And that's why we're following you because we're not going to understate who you are. All of those other statements were understatements. They don't know you, but we know you. We've known you for two years. We've seen you do incredible things. No one could do the things that you do unless God were with them. You know, it never mattered who people said that Jesus was. What mattered was who he actually was. It never really mattered what people said about Jesus because 
there was truth. The truth was he's the Messiah. The truth is that he is the son of the living God. You could say whatever you wanted to say about him and it wouldn't matter. It didn't change anything. I wanna go back to verse 17 right here and finish off this passage. Jesus replies to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh, but by my father in heaven. He says, Peter, you have a great intellect, but you didn't come up with this on your own. God gave you this. God helped you see this in me. God helped you see that I'm the Messiah, the one that everyone has been waiting for, the one who was sent here to pay for the sins of everyone, the one who must have faith placed in him if they are to receive forgiveness. That is who I am, and God revealed that to you. Jesus was called a lot of things. He was called John the Baptist, Jeremiah. He was called other prophets. He was called Elijah. But he was also called other things. People called Jesus glutton. They called him liar. They called him demon-possessed. They called him a drunk. But none of that changed anything about who Jesus really was. I don't know if you know this, but when it comes to who Jesus is, your opinion doesn't matter. When it comes to Jesus and, and who he actually is, your, your opinion doesn't matter because he is the Messiah and he is the son of the living God. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't change the facts. But when it comes to your eternity, your opinion of who Jesus is, it matters a lot. When it comes to Jesus and who he is, your opinion doesn't affect that. When it comes to your eternity, if you understate Jesus, that's a huge understatement that's gonna cost you a lot. In fact, if you, if you don't see Jesus for who he truly is, if you think he's a teacher, just a good teacher, or maybe just a prophet, if you think that, you're never gonna place your faith in him because he's ordinary. You're not going to bank on the fact that he died for your sins because you just think he was a good man. But when you don't understate him and you see things like Peter saw them, you know that he's the Messiah, the son of the living God, and you will place your faith in him. And you will be with him for eternity instead of having your sins on your own account and paying for those in an eternity separated from him in hell. Understating Jesus is a huge, huge deal. Now, I know that all of this sounds really exclusive and we're living in this inclusive world. Everything goes, except if you're a Christian, you're out. Well, I think that's because we're so exclusive because we say that there is only one name given under heaven by which man can be saved. That's Jesus Christ. That is so exclusive. What we're saying is everybody who understated who Jesus was and continued in that and then died, they spent an eternity away from him. They didn't go to heaven to be with him forever and ever. That's a big exclusive statement, but it's true. And what we think about it doesn't really matter. It's just true. Understating Jesus or not is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. 
Eternity hangs in the balance on this one. It doesn't with red or green chili. It doesn't if you understate the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's not gonna matter a lick. But if you don't understand who Jesus is and place your faith in him, you're gonna find yourself in a world of hurt. So who do you say that Jesus is? Do you understate who he is? In just a moment, we'll have some pastors up here. You can come and talk with one of us and say, I've understated who Jesus was. I thought he was just a prophet, but I now see that he's so much more. You could give your life to God right now. Put your faith in him because God sent Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins so that you could be with God for eternity. Maybe you wanna pray with one of the pastors up here and make that decision, or maybe you wanna do that right where you're seated. Maybe you have somebody in your life that understates who Jesus is, and maybe you wanna pray for them. Maybe you wanna pray for you to help set that record straight and help them never to understate who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He is the Messiah, the son of the living God. What I want you to do more than anything today is make sure that you leave this building never understating who Jesus is. Again, let's pray. Dear God, we love you so very much. We thank you for Jesus Christ, not just a prophet, not Elijah, not John the Baptist, not Jeremiah, not a liar, not a drunk, but the Messiah, the son of the living God. We thank you for him because it is through him that we have salvation. It's through him that we receive the forgiveness of our sin. God, would you help us help other people understand if they understate who he is and help us be a light for you in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.